Welcome to the House Podcast. We want to encourage you wherever you're at today. Reach out or email us at any time, and we hope you enjoy today's message. It's so good to be with you. I'm excited for YG, even though I'm not going to be there. Uh, And uh, actually, (laughs) let me tell you a story about a youth conference I went to when I was growing up. Um, I went to this conference in, uh, I think actually it was in Kelowna. I was like grade seven. And um, <laughs> they, it was like the opening rally, which is like, you know, kids come excited. They like jack them up with sugar. They jack them up with music. And then they just like, like everything's going crazy. Everyone's just trying to get like as hyped up as possible. And that was that moment. And my youth group was at the very back. And um, the guy on stage had this massive bucket of candies. And he was just like hucking candy like as hard as he could everywhere. And everyone's jumping up and trying to grab as much candy as they could. And I'm at the very back. And I'm like, you know, grade seven. I'm like trying to jump. And I'm like trying to see, you know, where's the candy? And then all of a sudden I got hit right in the eye. Like so hard with a sucker. Like one of those like very hard, like not like a gummy bear, like a full on sucker. And I was on the ground. And everyone was like, thought it was kind of funny, like I got hit with, you know, uh, a candy. Um, And I had to like go out, I had to leave. I was in so much pain. And I went to the nurse's like station, because of course they have one there, because they know like kids are going to get hurt. And so I'm there, and I like looked in the mirror, and my eye was swollen shut. Like it was totally swollen. For like a week, like a whole week, my eye was swollen shut. And so I don't know why I told you that story. But um, sign your kid up for youth. It's going to be great this week. Um, I don't know if they're still doing that. That was probably like a 2004 thing, but like hopefully not. Uh, it's going to be great this weekend. I'm going to continue in our series called Rooted this morning. We are working our way through the book of Colossians. And um, just to kind of refresh your memory a little bit, over the last few weeks we've been diving into Colossians 1, 2, and now this morning 3. And... Paul is writing this letter to this church or this group of churches in the, the city of Colossae, and they are kind of right in the like melting pot of all sorts of religious and um, ideas about God and spirituality and the gods. They had all sorts of ideas about this God and that God, and, and Paul is writing to this church to root them in their understanding of Jesus as the visible image of the invisible God. He's kind of like trying to hone their focus into who Jesus is. And he says this in Colossians 2, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. To this point, he's sort of uncovered who Jesus is as best as Paul can do with these big, grand verses and statements about the nature of who Jesus is. And now here in chapter 3, He begins to shift his focus a little bit to to us, to what this all means for us. Like in light of Jesus and who he is, what does it mean for us? How do we live in light of all of this? How does it impact how we see ourselves? If all of this is true, how does it impact how we see ourselves? It's really a question of identity, of, of asking this question like, who am I really? Who am I? And that's one of the most fundamental and important questions we will ever ask. Who am I? Because how you answer that question will shape the way that you live. And I don't know if you've noticed today, but we are kind of going through this like large scale cultural identity crisis where 
this question, who am I, is placed front and center in so many areas of our lives and so many areas of our society. And if you were to ask that question, who am I, this question that we are increasingly grappling with today, I think by and large culture would sort of say something along the lines of, well, whoever you want to be. You you get to kind of fill in the blank a little bit. Uh, We see it in the cliches and the short pithy statements, be true to yourself, follow your heart, or everyone's favorite, and I see this in like every coffee shop, be yourself, everyone else is already taken, right? We love that. It's like, hmm, that feels good. Today, the formation of our identity is increasingly becoming something that you get to determine, either by kind of self-discovery, looking within, kind of uncovering who you are, or self-construction, just kind of building this identity that you prefer or desire. And uh, it's bigger than just the, the kind of perception we, we project into the world on social media or even on church, like on a Sunday morning at church where you kind of put your face on, your game face on, you come to church, you're like, this is me, I'm a really good Christian. You're trying to like be something or project something to the people around you. It's bigger than that. It's even bigger than the actual titles we hold, like father or husband or sister or grandmother or, or teacher or you know construction work. It's bigger than all of those. It's kind of a more fundamental question that really gets to the core of who am I? And it's interesting because our culture would frame the, the sort of self-construction of our identity as a really good thing. Like that you can actually be whoever you want to be. You're not restricted to some sort of identity someone else imposes on you. Someone, you know, you're not limited to a certain career path or a certain kind of title or label. You get to actually be yourself and discover who you are. And it's this freedom that comes with this. It sounds freeing and liberating, doesn't it? Like, I can be whoever I want to be. It's kind of like the American dream. I get to do what I want and be who I want. And yet what it's done is it's placed this massive burden on us to sort of construct our own sense of self, especially our younger generation, kids and youth, as they wrestle not just with their interests or their their hobbies or their passions or their future goals, but around these big questions of identity, like their sexuality and their gender, and all of these fundamental categories of our identity that really get to the core of who we are, what it means to be human. Having the freedom to construct your own identity sounds good in theory, but it so quickly leaves us anxious and confused as we try to answer this massive question on our own, who am I? But this isn't just a question for young adults or teens. Uh, This question comes up repeatedly throughout life, and some of you will know this. This question comes up again and again and again when you get laid off from your long-held job. Who am I? When you shift or try to shift into retirement, like, who am I without my career, without my vocation, without my title? When the kids move out of the house and you find yourself with an empty nest, who am I? When your spouse passes away or when a physical condition prevents you from doing all the things you love, who am I really? This question comes again and again and again and it's important to explore it because how you answer it shapes the way that you live. After describing who Jesus is in chapters one and two, Paul shifts to begin talking about who we are in the light of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. He starts talking about this theme of identity. He says this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. 
Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We get a few like really key identity statements here in this text. And I don't know if you caught it, but Paul essentially tells the, the, the story of Jesus, but puts us kind of in the story. Like the story of Jesus that he's been telling up to this point of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming return, he puts us in that story. Kind of uh, uh, adds us, like says, we have died and we've been raised to life. We are now hidden with Christ. That we will appear with Christ in glory when he returns. It's this fascinating text. Paul is essentially saying that you, your identity is wrapped up in Christ's identity. It's, it's hidden in his. Like you can't actually find yourself without first discovering who Jesus is. It's like the imagery of those Russian nesting dolls where like they all look the same, but like you pop one open and there's another one there. It's like our life, our identity is hidden within Jesus's identity. You don't discover it without first discovering Jesus. Blaise Pascal once put it this way, not only do we know God through Jesus Christ alone, but we know ourselves only by Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we don't know what is our life nor our death, not God nor ourselves. Here's the point, to be rooted in Christ is to be rooted in your own identity. As Jesus comes into focus, it's like our own sense of self comes into focus also because our life is hidden in his. We have all sorts of different identities and labels that we carry with us each day. Some of them we choose, like where we work or where we live, and some that we don't, where we grew up or where we were born or what kind of family we were born to or if we have brothers or sisters. But the, the truest thing about us the thing at the very core of this question, who am I, isn't something we choose, nor is it something we achieve, nor is it something that we discover by looking within as though we just kind of stumble upon our identity like a spare set of keys. No, our truest identity, it's not our Enneagram number, it's not our Myers-Briggs or any other personality type test that we love to do. It's something given to us by God himself. And to our culture, that might sound kind of like restrictive or limiting, like an identity given, almost like placed on you. But the thing about our identity in Christ is that it's actually so much better than any identity we might construct on our own. Let me give you just a few things that being hidden in Christ entails. To be hidden in Christ means you're forgiven, means the slate is wiped clean. You can stand before him holy and blameless. Paul says it this way, just in a couple chapters before, in chapter one, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Like, do you believe that about yourself? That you can stand before God holy, set apart, blameless because of Jesus? Being hidden in Christ means we're valuable. We have a value that goes beyond measure. 
not because of what we've achieved or accomplished or produced or our success, but because God has spoken it over us. Psalm 139 says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you believe that about yourself? That there is an inherent value given to you before you did anything. To be hidden in Christ means you have purpose beyond just kind of the ambitions or the desires that kind of come and go throughout life. Paul says in Ephesians 2, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you believe that about yourself? You have purpose beyond just what you come up with on your own, beyond just pleasure or comfort or whatever other life that we manufacture on our own. To be hidden in Christ means we are loved unconditionally. It means the words Jesus is spoken, the words God declares over Jesus at his baptism are the same words he declares over us. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. It means our life is hidden in his life. And so God speaks those same words over us. This is my beloved child. Do you believe those words about yourself? Regardless of your past or present failures, that's how God sees you, through Jesus. To be rooted in Christ is to be rooted in your own identity. We don't find it through self-discovery or construction, but it's so much better than anything we might discover in our own strength, anything we might build on our own. Paul goes on in, in chapter three. He says this, put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. About a month ago, I had the privilege of officiating one of uh, a wedding for one of our young couples here at the church. And um, there's this, <laughs> there's this like beautiful, sacred, but very intimidating moment in any wedding ceremony where I get to declare that this couple is officially husband and wife. You know, it's that moment. It's like by the power, you know, vested in me, by the authority given to me, I now declare you husband and wife. And, and of course, that moment is like immediately followed by the kiss, which like, so, you know, no one remembers the words that I just said. But there is a moment there that happens. There are these, these words that like, there's a new identity spoken in that moment. Like in this moment, from now on, you become husband and wife. You're like, your identity changes in them. It's like this very kind of strange, intimidating moment. But we all know that there is a big difference between being declared husband and wife and actually living as husband and wife. Right? There is a very big difference between being declared something and actually living that out. 
And in the same way, though we have this new identity in Christ, that identity has to get lived out. It's so interesting because Paul goes from like, I, you know, outlining who we are in Christ, hidden with him, dead, new life, all of these big grand statements to like these very specific ways of living. And, and it can feel on the surface like he's just giving us a new set of commandments, like a new set of 10 commandments, like don't do this, do this, don't do that. But all of these commandments flow not out of a, uh, an achieving kind of earning mentality of trying to acquire some sort of identity. They come as the outworking of that identity, of living that identity out in real time. It's like all of these things don't belong with this new identity. Paul says, therefore, or in light of this new identity, now live accordingly. And we have to get that order right. <laughs> because so often we get that order wrong. We go, man, if only I, if I do this, the right things, if I follow Paul's commands here, then God will call me beloved. Then God will forgive me. Then God will do, he will give me this new identity. We don't start with our behavior. We start with the identity given to us. And it's our behavior that follows and flows out of it. And that's the way it always works. Whenever Paul gives us instruction about how to live or how not to live, almost always there is a precursor about who we are in, in Jesus, like an identity statement. It always flows out of our identity. Dane Ortland puts it this way. I love this quote. He says, there are two ways to live the Christian life. You can live it either for the heart of Christ or from the heart of Christ. You can live for the smile of God or from it for a new identity as a son or daughter of God or from it, for your union with Christ or from it. The battle of the Christian life is to bring your own heart into alignment with Christ's. And if you've been a, a, around church at all, I imagine you've heard a sermon or two or many about our, our identity in Christ. And I imagine your struggle is the same struggle as mine. It's not knowing these words, loved, forgiven, set free, whatever else, you know, scripture says about us. It's not knowing those words, but actually living as if those words were true. It's actually living as though that identity were true. How do we put off the old self and put on the new self, as Paul puts it? How do we live from this identity, from the heart of Christ, not for the heart of Christ? How do we make this more than just a cute idea that kind of lives in our brains or on a fridge magnet somewhere and more of a lived reality in our lives? Let me suggest that we have to believe a different story. There's this theory in psychology called um, the self-fulfilling prophecy. Essentially, it suggests that if you identify someone as a certain thing, uh, maybe a bully or a thief or a troublemaker, if you identify someone as something, that identity gets internalized. They begin to uh, own it as their own, and they, then they get, begin to live accordingly. They, they almost like live out the identity other people have spoken. Even if they weren't a thief or a bully or a troublemaker before, that identity gets internalized, and then they begin to live that way. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. They begin to live out a false narrative about who they actually are. 
Friends, we spend a lot of our lives living out of a false identity, living from a, a false story. Maybe it's something you got labeled with early on that just kind of got internalized. It took root in your heart. Or maybe it's something that you've worked hard to construct. You've built this identity that you project into the world and you're proud of it. But so often we live from a false identity. There's a story we begin to tell ourselves about who we truly are and that gets into our hearts and then into our behavior. David Lomas says, to receive our true identity from Jesus, we must first let go of the false identities we hold. We have to believe a different story. Paul says it this way, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Like stop believing a story that isn't actually true. Let go of all the false identities you've held. Stop believing that what you do for work or how much money you do or don't make or your relationship status or your accomplishments or your past failures or your past trauma is the thing that defines who you are. Set your mind above. Believe a different story. Believe the truth about what God would say about you. There is a new story that God is writing about our lives. And I think this is what Paul is getting at when he says, put off the old self and put on the new. Like, put off that false narrative, that false sense of self, and, and receive, put on this new identity. Stop telling that same old story. Because just as the words others say about us can get internalized and take root in our hearts, so too can the words of Scripture and the words of God. Let me tell you a couple stories as we close. Um, a couple years ago, I bought these denim jeans. And uh, I can probably count on one hand like how many pairs of brand new jeans I've ever bought in my life. Uh, because I was a student for like 100 years and I had a discount at Value Village. And that was just like, I mean, when you're a student and they're giving you like 15% off on like $3 pairs of jeans, like, I mean, come on. So that was like my, you know, my favorite place to shop. And I got most of my pants there. But eventually, I got married and I had this pair of pants that I was wearing for like way too long, you know, um, like holes everywhere, like cool and trendy probably if you're a female, but for a guy, like mildly inappropriate, right? Like nobody wants to see my upper thigh, right? So eventually my wife was like, you have to get new jeans. And so we bought new jeans, we bought these jeans. And um, <laughs> when we received these jeans, like they came out of the box or whatever, and I pulled them out, and the best way I can describe them is that they were crunchy. Like, they were like firm and rigid and like crunchy. Like, they sounded like wrapping paper. It was like, like, and, and, and I was, we were like looking at them like, is this what new jeans is like? Like, is this like the experience of buying new jeans? And I remember being like, what is going on here? They were so uncomfortable. I put them on, like they barely moved. It was like trying to like, you know, waddle my way around in these weird denim jeans. And then I went on the website and I read that these jeans come and, and they're rigid and firm when you first get them. But that if you live in them, if you wear them for a couple of weeks, they begin to loosen up. They kind of get more comfortable. They get more pliable. They, they stop feeling like crunchy and they start feeling a little more comfortable. And I think our identity in Christ is actually a little bit similar to that. It's like putting on a new pair of denim jeans. We get this identity given to us by God 
And we go, man, I'm not sure if this actually fits. Like, I don't know if this identity belongs on me of all people. It feels awkward and strange at first. Feels almost like too good to be true. But if you just put it on and you start living it out, living at it as if it's true, it begins to get more comfortable. It it gets worked out and lived out in your life and it becomes more comfortable. It fits you. You begin to internalize it. And as you do, it starts to shape how you live and how you see yourself. It might take a bit of time, but as you put it on, as Christ, as Paul says, as you put on this new identity, it begins to get internalized and lived out. One last story as we close and the band comes. In 2018, I was working um, as a part-time barista and a, uh, a part-time student. I was finishing my master's. And um, I had been keeping an eye out for pastoral positions for a couple of years. I had my Bible college degree, and so I was kind of keeping an eye on, you know, our church is hiring, and what's that going to look like, and felt, you know, I had the education, I, I felt called to some sort of, you know, church position somewhere, didn't know exactly what that looked like, but then eventually in 2018, I got hired here, and there was a very strange moment that happened when I got introduced here. Um, some of you are, were here when that happened, and you probably felt the same way as me, like, Chad called me up, and he said, this is Pastor Oliver. And I remember, like, kind of being like, what? Pastor Oliver? Like, Pastor Oliver? Like, I had never once been called pastor before. And those words were so weird. Like, pastor? It felt like he was talking about someone else. Like, is there another guy named Oliver, like, that they hired at the same time? Like, it felt like I was a total imposter. Like, the day before, I was a barista. Then all of a sudden, people started calling me a pastor. It's like this radical change in a day. And it was so strange and so weird. But you know what helped me get comfortable? Owning it as part of who I actually am and what I do. Hearing it repeated again and again and again. Sometimes here on Sundays or sometimes with you who call me pastor or seeing it on the website. Like, seeing and hearing this title, it's like it started to get a little more comfortable. And I think the same thing is true of our identity in Christ. We often feel like imposters. Like, forgiven, maybe temporarily, right? Like, maybe for a time. But loved, God's masterpiece, hidden with Christ, like, surely there is someone else. Surely God has the wrong guy. Because I, I, I've got my own brokenness. Like, I've got my own failures. I've got my own stuff I'm working out. Surely there is someone else that that identity applies to. But if you root yourself in Christ, you root yourself in your own identity. And if you let Jesus speak these words over you again and again and again, if you marinate in these words, in this text, if you memorize it and read it and reread it and get it into your brain and get it into your heart, it gets internalized. And slowly but surely, as you root yourself in Christ, this identity becomes more comfortable. And suddenly you realize, yeah, this is who I am. Not the things other people say about me, not the thing that I might believe about myself, but but what God says about me. As you root yourself in Jesus, you root yourself in your own identity. And these words become more than just words on a page, but they become a lived reality. 
something you experience and internalize and then live out. It's been said that to have faith in something is to live as if it were true. To have faith in something is to live as if it were true. So let me just ask you, would you dare to live as though what God says about you were actually true? Would you dare to live as though what God says about you and who you are is actually true? Would you dare to live as someone whose life is hidden in Christ, forgiven, loved unconditionally, given purpose and value, not because of what you do or have done or haven't done, but because that's just what God says about you. Would you dare to live as though what God says about you is indeed true? And let that identity get rooted in your heart and then rooted in the way you live. Let me pray for us as we close. Would you open your hands in front of you as we just kind of pause and receive the words of Jesus as he speaks over you. First, God, we come before you with open hands to confess that we come with all sorts of baggage with us. From this week, from our past, from our, the last month, we come with all sorts of baggage, but God, we come knowing that that thing doesn't define us that you get the last word in who we are. And so, Lord, we open our hands this morning to receive a new, a fresh identity. Would you recover and restore in us the very image you placed in us? Would you remind us of our, of our value, our worth, our purpose? That we can stand before you holy, blameless, set apart with confidence because of who you are, because of what you've done. God, we recognize our life is hidden in yours. And so I pray, Lord, would you root us in who you are? Would you root us in who you are, Jesus, that we might live as though what you say about us is actually true? Would you help us do that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to respond and sing as the team leads us in worship.